Hi, Raphael Bender here, founder of Breathe Education, and you're listening to the Pilates Elephants podcast with me and my co-host, Chloe Bunter. There are many things that are awesome about the Pilates industry. However, many of the practices we take for granted are out of date or just plain pseudoscientific. These are the elephants in the room in Pilates, and we're here to talk about them openly and honestly, and with a fair few F-bombs thrown in. This show is about debunking the myths and giving you science-based tools to become a better, happier, and more fearless teacher. If you've been enjoying the show and you want to give back, give us a five-star rating and write us a glowing review on Apple Podcast app. That'll help other instructors find the show and let us know we're making a difference. In today's episode, I'm joined by Heath Lander, who is our lead trainer for the Diploma of Clinical Pilates and also a very long-time friend of mine. Heath shares his magic formula for teaching ever-popular studio classes at his two studios and for training instructors to teach ever-popular classes very quickly also. We go through in detail the concept that we've developed for the diploma actually let's be honest heath developed it for the diploma the exercise toolbox which is a really essentially a foolproof and incredibly simple way for you to always find the right exercise and the right exercise intensity for every client on every day all that and more coming up hey heath hey Raph. how's it going it's good i'm really excited to be here talking to you yeah, I'm excited to be here talking with you as well. So um, what I want to talk about, or actually, firstly, um, maybe maybe some people out there in the world aren't familiar with who you are, so maybe you should just give us the, the short version of, of who you are and what you do and how you define what it is that, that you, you do in the world. <coughs> sure. Um in this part of the world, I guess I'm a Pilates instructor. Um, I became, I started being a Pilates instructor about 12, 13 years ago um, with no previous experience or knowledge of Pilates. I'd always been active. Um, I did martial arts when I was young, which is a long time ago. Then I did yoga and then, uh, and that was about a decade. And then I moved into Pilates when I, re-met you um and but i the consistent theme through all of that was education i grew up the, the, my parents were both teachers in secondary college and university uh I, my i finished high school and did a teaching degree sort of by default i didn't know what else to do so i just followed my parents um and then drifted off through my 20s and 30s but always just sort of had something to do with education um, and moved. So the two sort of parallel themes of my adult life have been physical movement and education. Uh, but until I started Pilates training with Breathe Wellbeing, you, 13 odd years ago, they'd been quite separate. So I was a school educator, university educator, and then special needs educator for nearly a decade. Uh, and I just did movement for my own sanity really <clears throat> um i'm almost certain that if i'd been as assessed i would have been diagnosed adhd when i was a kid so movement was literally my sanity valve um and so when those two things came together uh i was the cat that caught the cream really it was like oh you can make money 
teaching people to move their bodies. That's pretty cool. Um, I didn't have an entrepreneurial upbringing or streak. I'd never thought about that. It was always of institutional education. Um, and it was really through working with Breathe and yourself and that I that, that sort of emergent thought came through. And after two or three years of working as a Pilates instructor, I started seeing clients in my living room. That grew into a it outgrew my living room. It grew into a little studio, which grew into a bigger studio, which grew into two studios. Um, and all along that progression, I was doing some instructor training through Breathe Education. Roughly, it was a weekend a month for about a decade um, until people take the beginning of the pandemic Um uh, when Breathe Education started to be global and busy, really busy, more busy, I took up a bigger role and was doing presentation of tutorials and lectures. Um, and then I started to work on the Breathe Education diploma when it was rebooted. We took out the apparatus and focused on pain science, clinical applications of pain science and reformer and mat work repertoire and I was asked and to come and help with the the design and the building and the tracking of the coursework as we rolled out this new course and uh, really as far as I can tell it was kind of a perfect storm of all the things I'd been doing in my life plus the experience I had in that organisation came together and um, I've, I'm riding a wave of delight really of creativity and sort of flow state at the moment as I work on these courses for Breathe Education. That's kind of it, yeah. And um, you'd kind of mentioned in there that we've been friends for a while but we've known each other since like 19, in the 1990s, right? We met sometime in the late 90s. Yeah, late 90s, yeah, yeah. Yeah. What did we do? Um, we we used to bounce together. Yeah. Yeah. And you wrote a book called The Bouncer. Wrote a book, wrote a book called The Bouncer. Yeah. Damn damn fine book too. Yeah, thanks. Yeah. I looked at it the other day. I was like, yeah, it's not bad. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. So yeah, well that was I mean I I got into martial arts uh, when I was at university. No, I'd done judo as a kid. My parents gave me some exercise to do, but it, again, wasn't particularly, wasn't really obsessed with martial arts. I just liked the movement. Um, and then I didn't do any for a while. Then I, I started doing this thing called capoeira, Brazilian sort of quite dancey martial art and in uni. And then that transitioned to a Kung Fu style. And then we met Um and somewhere in there, my Kung Fu teacher asked me to be a bouncer, which the absurdity of that still astonishes me. And so that's the, the book. The premise of the book was how does this scrawny 65 kilo child of artists and actors and educators end up working nightclub doors and what's it like? Um, yeah. And it was the runner up in a book prize and got published. It's a great and, book. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you very much. Um, yeah. And so we'll you, link to you, it in the show notes as well. Yeah, great. It's in Kindle and all, you know, all, all reputable bookstores nearby. Um, 
Yeah, so we, we met and uh, you, you feature in the book. I won't tell anyone whose name you are in the book. They can work it out. Um, and, yeah, actually, I often tell people the story, students especially, that 10, 10 years later, so that's fast forward from the early 90s to the early 2000s or whatever it was, and I had a back injury, inverted commas, AKA was my marriage was disintegrating and I was working in a highly stressful job and I wasn't getting enough sleep of seeing my child enough. Uh, and my back started to hurt quite badly. And I was sent to a myotherapist who recommended I go and see this, this person called Raphael Bender who just started a new Pilates studio. So I was like, don't know what Pilates is. Not even sure what myotherapy is, but I reckon there can't be too many Raphael Benders going around <laughs> Melbourne. And so I rang and it was you and you said to come and do a session at your recently opened studio and coming upstairs to a, a fully, I mean, and it was a pretty spectacular small group uh, studio. What was it? Two Cadillacs, three chairs, two reformers, beautiful um, flown arch windows, uh, flown ceiling, white walls, huge rolling mirrors. But all I remember is the Cadillacs and the fluffy, fluffy straps and just kind of going, what happens in here? Like, it's like, it was like nothing I'd ever seen looked more like a sex dungeon than an exercise room. It was all I'd ever really done was martial arts and gyms. And uh, yeah. And then I, what did I spend three years in that room almost full time? Mm-hmm. And we wrote an anatomy book together. We wrote an anatomy book together. Yeah. Functional anatomy or something. Yeah. Long, long since out of print. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. That was like about 2000 and early 2010s or something we wrote that. It must um, have been started in 2009. Yeah, so, uh, and which you did all of the illustrations for. Mm-hmm. Um, and, all right, and so today, so we've got, we've got a fair bit of history and uh, today I'd like to talk about something that we've been talking about because we talk at least a couple of times a week Um And one of the things that we've been talking about recently is the idea of simplicity in exercise programming. And in relation to both, you know, how you teach in your studio and how you teach your instructors in your studio to teach, and also how you teach in the diploma. So um, it, when, when it comes to running the diploma of clinical Pilates, uh, we're kind of co-creating it. Like I'm writing the lectures with a bit of help from Adam McAtee and you're building the, the tutorial plans and the masterclasses and the coursework content, so the pre-recorded content and the quizzes and all that kind of stuff. And so we meet a couple of times a week to kind of give each other feedback and take the temperature of how the students are doing and make adjustments and all of that. And, you know, one of the things that has been a, a massive hit in this iteration of the diploma, and the diploma's been going since 2012, so this is like version umpteen of it. Um, but it, one of the things that's, that's been like just a runaway hit, number one with a bullet, has been this thing you've developed called the Exercise Toolbox. And so I want to get onto that um, in a minute um, and share that with you know people who are listening. But first, I want to I want to talk about. Um, 
how you, you know, your your journey that you said, you told me the other day actually of, you know, you teaching a certain way in your studio and then noticing that when, when, when you employed new instructors, they came in and it took them like a couple of years to fill their classes out, but that you could kind of fast track that process to like eight weeks if you gave them really specific <laughs> instructions on on what to do and and sort of your journey of like going from like s- suggesting that they might like to try doing it this way to like hey if you want to work here you need to do it this way <laughs> so yeah can you can you share that that with us yeah so you're asking how i how I settled on that, how I came well, to that? Well, well, you know, I mean, we've, you know, with people who listen to this podcast, we have people who teach contemporary, we have people who teach classical, we have people who teach original contrology style, we have people who, who teach like much more modern, just like planks and lunges and flying splits and stuff. You know, we've got the whole spectrum of people who listen to this podcast. We've even got people who don't teach Pilates, like yoga instructors and mm. PTs and, and stuff who listen to this. So... You know, there's 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 all all strokes and all folks out there. So just tell us, like, how you know when you teach a, a group class, like, what do you teach? Yeah, um, about oh, I'd say I have fifteen exercises, and that's it. Yeah, no, but I'm slightly tongue in cheek. Uh, all right, so at the beginning, so I'm gonna I'll, if it's if it's all right, I'll talk about what I've observed in instructors who come to work for me because then I can kind of track that story. So what, I've, what I observed over the years that was when an instructor came out of their instructor school, and it didn't matter if like my course, I did the stock course originally where you learned literally hundreds of exercises and they weren't contextualised into progressions of challenge or this one led to that one or anything. It was just like you're learning about the chair, then you're learning about the Cadillac, then you're learning about the reformer. So you had this huge amount of exercises that you were supposed to kind of hold and draw from, which set up a paradigm of variety. It was like, okay, there's so many things I could do. And if I don't do lots of, lots of them, people will be bored and never come back. And what I, the, the, looking back, the instructors who were most successful in terms of client numbers and retention and just in terms of seeming to run a great class were the ones who did roughly kind of sort of the same thing every time. Um, And so that was my journey and it took a long time and a lot of mistakes to go from thinking that I had to, one, have a highly varied programming across any space of time, whether it be a week or a month or a year, things need to be really bespoke to the clients. Um, and then so, and as, in, as, I, as I tried to do that, I realised that I was exhausted and I wasn't getting the results in terms of business numbers or client retention that I, that I wanted and that I needed. Um, so then I... I simplified that and just started to teach essentially the same thing. And the premise was like blinding flash, the bleeding obvious. When I thought back to pottery, when I learned pottery, um, 
the man who taught me pottery showed me how to, I had to weigh the balls, he made the ball, one kilo, and he made me do a hundred of them. So there were one kilo. I'm not very good at precision. So that took me like a month. So anyway, I had a hundred balls of a kilo. And then he showed me three steps, you know, center the thing, pull the, pull the cylinder and pull out the, the bowl. And that's it. And then he said, just do that a hundred times. And by the, by the hundredth bowl, I kind of had the hang of it. And, and there was a light bulb moment there. And then I was like, oh, I kind of got it. And he was like, yeah. And then, you know, it's this sort of parables about the Japanese making people make a thousand things before they can keep one. So that, I had this kind of moment where I was like, well, if I want to get good at teaching Pilates, I should teach some small subsection of what I know a lot and be really good at it. And guess what happened? I got really good at it. So I just taught the same thing. So then what I've observed in instructors when they come out of school, school, is that they, they prioritize variety. They think that their lesson plans and all the fandangled things that they can build in are the things that will signal that they've arrived and that they're confident and capable. And when I let instructors who worked for me, because I always hired straight from breeds, so they were grads as such, when I let them do that in their own time, it was kind of like 12 to 18 months of really not great class numbers, um, you know, not really hitting stride in terms of business or confidence. So it wasn't good for the business and it wasn't great for them before they started to identify things that they could teach with confidence to multiple groups, multiple people without having to make huge adjustments. Um, so I, I started to structure that. I started to write things and say, Initially, I said, I want you to write the lesson plans and then you're going to stick to the lesson plans. But eventually I went, yeah, nah, because then they still write things that were too complicated. So we created uh, what we call, like in my business, we just call it the 12 key exercises and there's nothing flashy about them. It's footwork, lunges, uh, arm circles, chest expansion, shoulder bridge, long stretch, uh, some push-up stuff and you get that list and you, your audition would be to teach that list. Um, and if, 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 if we're happy with that, which we usually are, because the system is such that we trust it, then it's like, okay, let's give you some classes and a specific lesson plan. And you have to, you have to teach those lesson plans on repeat over a significant period of time uh, we randomize it so that you have a spreadsheet and, you know, it's not just like, oh, I'll teach lesson one three times this week. It's like on Monday I'm teaching lesson one, on Tuesday I'm teaching lesson two, on Thursday I'm teaching lesson three. Then next week, Monday is lesson two, Tuesday is lesson three, and so it cycles. So the instructor is teaching the same three or four or five, depending on their workload, for 10 weeks, which when you tell that to a new instructor, like 10 weeks, that's a lifetime. Like I'm going to, I'll be gone by then. And, but in, in real life, it's like a blip. And, but then the beauty of it is the, the clients don't know that, you know, so the clients have a different lesson for three weeks. And then on the fourth week, they have the first lesson again. Right. Because the Monday people usually don't also come on Tuesday. So they just get class one on Monday and then next Monday they come, they get class three and they're like, Oh, it's a whole new class. 
Right. And then and, and, and they don't realise that, of course, the whole new class is just the same exercise as rearranging into a different sequence. Yep. Chopped <laughs> up and rearranged. Um, and, and even if they do, they don't think, oh, this is the same as the other week, just rearranged. They're like, oh, that's like the thing we did the other day, but I kind of get the hang of it this time. You know, um, they yeah. make progress. The clients progress. get better at the exercises. Right. So I think that I, I'm, I, for, for all of that, I think that the great insight I had was that I and other instructors were fixated on variety being the thing that would make classes worthwhile. But actually, variety is highly overrated and you want to do largely the same thing because clients get a sense of mastery. They get to practice the thing and see the change over time. And the instructor gets to practice the thing. So there's this symbiotic improvement thing that happens. And the variable is stop complicating things with really complicated lesson plans. Just yeah. do the same warm up, or well, what we've got, we've got two warm ups. So you can pick one or the other. You can have any color you like as long as it's black or white, right? And then you, and you do that, and one of them is prenatal friendly, another one's supine. So if you've got a prenatal client, you do the, the quadruped warm up, and then, uh, I mean, within Breathe, we talk about layers, clusters, and then a three hundred and sixty concept of working the whole body. So in that, um, it, it, like thinking about it like that, it, you're thinking about the warm up, cluster one, cluster two, cluster three, maybe cluster four, and then a cool down. And, those and a cluster is just a group of three to five exercises that kind of go together, right? So it's all the exercises in supine or all the exercises in kneeling or, or whatever. Um, yeah, the way I, I say it is multiple exercises in one basic position. Yeah. So it could be lunges, long stretch lunges. So it's not quite standing and full quadruped, but yeah. the transition is smooth enough that it's the same place. It's not like it doesn't feel like a position change. Correct, yeah. So you're not turning more than 180 degrees. You're not changing more than one thing at a time. So, and, and so this, the instructor only has to call like two, two instructions to be in the new start position, not... Right, and so in a cluster, right, so if I'm doing lunges, long stretch, lunges, whatever, right, basically within that cluster, I wouldn't change springs, I wouldn't change foot bar position, I wouldn't go and get a box, put the box away, do any of that stuff. That stuff happens in between clusters, Right, so we'll go. Then we'll go and do a cluster on the box, maybe, yeah, or whatever. Yeah, and our working, we, we really, I and my, and breathe too. But certainly, me and our business really want people to get stronger, which is always a little bit of a balancing act when you're doing a group because you've got different strength abilities. So we use the clusters and and build the clusters, and the idea being that towards the end of the cluster, everyone is being challenged enough that when you finish the cluster, they're like, oh, thank God that's over. And so then that buys you transition time where people are pleased to not be exercising for the 15 seconds it takes to turn around, change the springs, grab the straps. Yeah. Um, All right. Yeah. So, I mean, so this is, this is something, you know, I really love this idea of simplicity and it's a massive bias of mine. Uh, you know, across just about every domain of life. But I'd I'd like to ask you now about like and talk about how we've applied this in the diploma and how you in particular have applied it in the diploma because we've we've taught like many iterations of this diploma. You know, when we first taught it, like you said, we used to have the studio equipment in it. So I used to include the Cadillac, the chair, the barrels, the all of the things. And 
uh, you know, we used to teach all of the PMA repertoire on all of those. You know, we actually used to use the PMA uh, exam study guide as our as our reference work, um, and and we used to teach all of that. And so we've been through the whole kind of full comprehensive repertoire training scenario. And nowadays we we teach I don't know what is it probably like a dozen exercises or, or thereabouts fifteen maybe in the diploma. Actually, we don't teach the exercises because we assume that it's with it, the the diploma is a is a is a course for qualified instructors. So we assume that coming in, you already know how to teach some exercises, and whether that's mat pilates or reformer pilates or kettlebells mm. or whatever. It's like mm. okay, you know how to teach a push-up and how to teach a lunge and how to teach a squat you know we kind of assume that coming in and we're not kind of we do assume it coming in um and so the premise of the diploma is is not that we're going to teach you exercises it's that we're going to teach you clinical reasoning anatomy pathophysiology and pain science so that you can have a framework to use the exercises you already know to help people with their aches pains injuries medical conditions etc so uh, so the 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 thing so so we're not teaching exercises but we're teaching a framework of how to program exercises so tell us about the exercise toolbox because actually for like for half of this year that we've been running the exercise toolbox i just thought of it's like oh god that's such a simple little thing it's just a, literally a list of exercises on a piece of paper um, and i didn't really pay it the tension that it turns out that it deserves but it turns out that this has been a real game changer for just about every student so yeah tell us about the exercise toolbox yeah well yeah so it 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 does sound like it's going to be a collection of exercises and any any student in the diploma certainly once they've done two modules of work on the toolboxes could hand you their toolbox as a as a list and you could look at it but they would be different for each student because of the way we get them to work on it. So what the toolbox really is, is, as you said, it's a way to think about exercises. So it orders, it, it provides a kind of guiding order for how instructors can structure their thinking about exercises. And I, 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 I gather it's sort of deceptively simple. Like it's like, here's a list of exercises. It's just graded exercise. Each one's a slightly harder than the one before. But what's hidden in it is knowing when to progress the client. And then one of the things that I, I, I what I understand from student experience and feedback is one of the key mind-blowing takeaways from the diploma is for when students understand that rehabilitation is the process of restoring strength, range of motion and control to the injured limb or to the injured body area. But wait for it, spoiler alert, those are the same dimensions out of which you build all the exercises for all of your clients. So you can think about rehab or you can just think about movement in terms of strength, range of motion and uh, control. And so then the toolbox becomes something where you can go, okay, so I've got a basic squat and I'm holding onto the ladder. So there I'm reducing control because I, and it's, it's, it's making it easier to squat deep. And it's helping me work through any range of motion challenges I've got. And I get a little bit of strength support. So if I want to make it harder in terms of strength, okay, I need to make them 
manage more load. Okay, we'll do a Cossack, but use the ladder. So I'm still supporting the control and I'm still supporting range of motion. But and, a, and a Cossack is where you basically, it's a, like a side like a lunge, side, right? side spot where you bend one leg, the other leg stays straight. Yep. Or you could do a squat and hold a kettlebell and add more weight, but you'd also be adding control and range of motion because you don't have the ladder to hang on to. And so we apply that thinking of the dimensions of exercise to all of the areas of the body that the, the students are learning to work with. So that all of the exercises they've learned and new ones they pick up like Cossack squats or whatever can be ordered into those dimensions and they start to see how sometimes they overlap and sometimes it's linear. If you're working with barbells and weight plates, then you can just do linear strength challenge. But if you're not, as so many Pilates instructors aren't, then learning to think in terms of those dimensions allows you to pull on the levers of challenge for your clients. Yeah. And the, the toolbox essentially is a way to break down rather than going, here's this concept, three dimensions of exercise, go and apply it to all the movements you know. We work through the body. They learn about the anatomy and the physiology and the pathophysiology of those areas. And then they also learn and build toolboxes for those areas so that we compartmentalize the body and apply the same concept across the different areas. Right. And I think that, you know, I, I, I guess that might be a, a kind of a, something that, that a lot of people sort of, a distinction that a lot of people miss is they might think of like, okay, well, long stretch is, you know, compared to say, I don't know, cat stretch, let's say long stretch is harder right but they're not necessarily thinking about okay well it's harder in the strength domain it's also harder in the balance domain it's also harder in the range of motion domain in the shoulder and so for somebody and one of the you know kind of uh, sub principles of rehab is that at the beginning of rehab we protect the injured body part from potentially harmful stressors and towards the end of rehab we expose the injured body part to potentially harmful stressors and so at the beginning of rehab we still want to work on strength and range of motion and control but we want to work on each of those things separately so we don't want to go hey it's day one of your shoulder post-surgical rehab do long stretch we might say do an isometric shoulder strengthening exercise with no range of motion or control required so maybe just standing against the wall and pushing your hand into the wall you know so there's no control there's no range of motion is just strength and then we might do a range of motion exercise with no control and no strength so we might you know put you maybe on the cadillac or on even you know get you if, if we're thinking about just a uh, something someone has at home we could get you doing like standing with your hands standing facing the wall with your hands on the wall and then you kind of hinge forward at the hip so that your shoulder stretches Right, so you're actually you're not actively moving your arm. You're not using any of the muscles in your arm. There's no control required because your hands are essentially glued to the wall. So it's just range of motion. And then we might work on the control aspect without any strength or without any range of motion requirement. You know, um, so so and then as as we pros, progress through rehabilitation, we start to integrate all of those functions together. So we're now, you know, later in rehab we might work. Strength through range of motion with control, mm -hmm. um, and so it's the toolbox really enables people to sort of tease out or separate, you know, the those three dimensions and go, okay, I'm going to advance this person on strength, but I'm not going to advance them on control or range of motion, 
or vice versa, as it might, as the case might be, rather than just thinking like, okay, they can do cat stretch. What's a bit? What's something that's a bit harder than that? You know, it's 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 being a bit more strategic about thinking. Okay, I'm going to make the strength harder, but at the same time, I'm going to reduce the range of motion to make that easier, so that they can cope with that additional challenge. Yeah, and it and it and it. What's great about it is that it works for group instructors who are no, it's exactly the same thinking, but kind of in reverse. When you look at someone who's struggling with a movement in a group class, because you've learned how to answer the question of what makes it hard, like, you know, what, what are the challenges built into that movement? You can then start to go, ah, they're struggling with the control bit or, ah, they can't do the strength bit yet. Oh, the range of motion isn't there yet. Rather than going, oh, they can't do the exercise. Let's just do something else. It's like, ah, I'm going to dial back the range of motion and make it more achievable. Or the person's succeeding and you want to be able to make it harder and you say, let's make it harder in strength by dialing up the spring tension or whatever. So thinking that way about it allows you to go up and down like, and as you say, the sub the, the sub um, subscales principle is yeah. you know protect the injured area, challenge the injured area. Well, that's the spectrum, and that this allows you to think really critically and effectively about which challenge you're introducing when. And then the other bit that we haven't really talked about is applying the principles of strength gains so that you know how many reps slash sets do I want the person to do before I decide to progress them, which is the other great magic of the Pilates instructor um, is how did they know when it was the right time to make it harder for me? Mm. And when I'd asked instructors that I was learning from, they were like, oh, you just get a feel for it. People just look like they've got it under control. I'm like, that's great, but that might take me three, five, ten years to be able to intuit. But now we've got... Science. Yeah. yeah, which gives us a rule. So it's like, okay, great, do that. You can do 10. Awesome. Let's make it harder. Oh, you only did seven. Well, we'll do that again for the next couple of sessions. Can we just backtrack for a sec? Because I want to I give people listening like some concrete, you know, step-by-step takeaways for this to build their own exercise toolbox. So really, essentially, the exercise toolbox at its core, it's literally just a list of exercises each of which is a little bit harder than the one before it in one or more dimensions of strength, range of motion and control, right? So it might be a bunch of exercises that are all to do with leg strength, you know, they're some version of a squat or lunge, right? And the easier one might be, like you said, you know, squats, bodyweight squats holding a chair. Um, uh, and then the next version might be bodyweight squats not holding a chair, <laughs> Um, and that's a bit harder on balance and a little bit harder on strength as well. Um, and you could make it harder on strength without making it harder on balance by saying body weight squats, hand resting on a chair, but not holding it, you know. So you could grade it up and, and, and basically just have a list of maybe five or seven exercises of, for say, that are some version of a squat or some version of a push-up or some version of a curl-up or, or whatever mm-hmm. it might be. Um, and each one's a little bit, harder than the previous one on one one or more of those dimensions and you literally uh, and so you make you can make these up like if you teach on reformers make a list of exercises on reformer if you teach on the mat if you teach on kettlebells or whatever just make a list of exercises that are a little bit each one's a little bit harder and start with one that like okay your grandma could do you know or someone who just had shoulder surgery could do 
and then work your way up to like, oh, yeah, you'd have to be like ready to audition for Cirque du Soleil to, you know, <laughs> to do that one. And, and so now you've got grades of exercises that you can, you can adjust for pretty much any client. And, 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 and this, this is not a, this is like programming one class, right? Because you're just programming a sequence of a, an upper body push, an upper body pull, you know, trunk flexion, trunk extension, extension, trunk rotation, trunk lateral flexion, and some squat slash lunge. It's like that's what it's seven, seven programs, each with five to seven exercises in it, and it, a lot of them might be similar exercises. <laughs> um, you know, like cat stretch might be on your upper body push um, sequence. It might also be on your torso flexion sequence, for example. Mm -hmm. Yep. So you can certainly reuse ingredients. And then you've just got these lists of exercises and, you know, your client comes in and, you know, you want to work them in all directions, you want to work their arms, you want to work their legs, so you've got to give them at least one exercise off every sequence, right? So they've done all of the movements. And where do you start them on each sequence? Well, this, this is what you're getting to, is that, well, we know that to maximise improvement in strength, and we, we talk about you know, a lot in plays we talk about strengthening and I, I see this on social media a lot as well and i think a lot of people don't i i'm i'm certain that most pilates instructors don't aren't clear on what it means to actually strengthen like i i saw something today where someone was on instagram where someone was doing uh, a body weight uh, standing one foot on a foam block you know it's like a one of those sort of yoga blocks you know, maybe it's like two and a half inches off the floor um, and the other foot standing on the floor and then doing like side step ups onto the block, right? So it's like a, it's not a half squat, it's not a quarter squat, it's like a one-tenth squat, you know? So if you imagine standing with both legs straight, then you squat down like literally two inches, your pelvis drops two inches, like that's about how far, right? And I thought, you know, that's a, that looks like a fun exercise for balance, maybe a nice warm-up for, you know, the class or whatever. But the caption underneath said, oh, you know, great for strengthening the ankles, the, the quads, the glutes, the blah, blah, blah. And I thought, like, yeah, I mean, that would strengthen the quads and the glutes for somebody extremely frail and deconditioned, like a nursing home resident. But for an adult human who can walk out upstairs, get out of a chair, carry shopping upstairs, you know, whatever it might be, it's like that's not enough load to, to to produce any kind of strengthening. You know, and I say that with love and respect to if you're out there doing step-ups onto a block, that's a great exercise. It's a balance exercise. It's a, it's a control exercise, but it, it, it's not any kind of a strength exercise. We know that we need, mm. uh, you know, to really maximise your strength gains, you need to be working at an intensity where you can only do roughly 10 reps because it's so... The resistance is so hard that after 10 reps, you basically can't do, you know, an 11th rep. So this is like, you know, for many of us, if you can't do more than 10 push-ups, right, full push-ups, well, that's that's the level of effort, you know, intensity that's required to create some kind of strengthening stimulus. And so when we're working on footwork on one and a half springs or you know, whatever it might be, where we can do freaking... 280 reps before we get tired <laughs> that's actually i'm sorry my friends that is cardio <laughs> yeah and in that case cardio for your knees or something <laughs> yeah i think there's a i know i've certainly lived this and but i think there's a tendency to sort of conflate um 
sensation with strengthening. You know, if you do this movement and you feel your legs working, then therefore it's good for it's a good strengthening exercise for the leg. It's like no, it's just you're feeling your leg muscles do something, but until you hit what you, exactly you've just described particular measures where you can't do another beyond a certain point, and there's specific numbers around that, you're not actually getting stronger. You know, you're not creating changes within the body. And then the next question is like, why do you want to create those changes? And then we'll, we do a whole course on the, the, the value of that. And it's kind of sad that to me that given Joseph Pilates is the person that started this conversation that's still going, I'm sure to his wonder, was clearly a strong person and clearly worked to fatigue enough to strengthen his body that but that seems to have been lost generally in the culture of Pilates that, and there's, you know, there's an over, there's an over emphasis on high volume, moderate load. Or even very low load. Low load. And and that's great. And, and as you say, it might be a, a strengthening exercise for someone who's deconditioned, but as an instructor, I think it behooves us these days to know more and to be able to program effectively for, for, for people in front of us because, what, yeah, because we've got the information now. Mm. Hey, yeah. um, let's take a break before we come back and talk about that. Okay. Okay. So before the break, you said it behooves us as Pilates instructors to, to avail ourselves of a knowledge of, of this, this, the principles of strength training because we do talk about strengthening a lot in Pilates. We talk about strengthening core and strengthening your back. And when I was doing my course with Stott, you know, and every manual I've ever read, I've got a whole bunch of Pilates manuals on the shelf behind me here. And they all say, you know, this exercise strengthens blah, blah, blah muscles, you know. And 19 times out of 20, I'd, probably not. That that's not the case unless you use like quadruple the amount of resistance that they recommend in the in the book for most people and so the 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 basic uh, and we've talked about this before on the show in the heavyweights bulk you up like an elephant episode i think it was like one of the first 10 we did but um so for a more detailed discussion go back to that but basically to maximize your strength gain now you'll get stronger with light resistance up to a point but very soon after you get a bit stronger you need to increase the resistance <laughs> otherwise you're going to stop getting s- stronger like you don't you can't do footwork on two springs for five years and just keep getting stronger and stronger and stronger and stronger over that time yep. you, you need to increase the resistance progressively otherwise you're going to stop getting stronger and to in fact to actually maximize how much strength you gain you need to be working at something around 80% of your maximum. Um, so that's like 80% of the maximum that you could move once. So I think like one arm push up, you know, or even a one arm kneeling push up, you know, like something, an exercise you could only, or a full depth pistol squat or something that is super hard for you that you could only do once. Well, 80% of that load is what you need to you know maximize the stimulation for strength gains and so that's a load that you can go about 10 reps with right so if you can do like 10 kneeling push-ups or 10 full push-ups or whatever well it's about that hard that's the effort level that's required um 
And the good news is you don't need to go all the way to failure. You don't need to push out the last two reps. So if you just do seven or eight reps of a load that you can, you could do 10, that's going to that's gonna maximise your strength gain. And so talk us through how you use the, the toolbox right now. So we've got this, this list of exercises that start with, you know, push-ups on the wall maybe, and then go to push-ups with your hands on the sofa, and then go to kneeling push-ups on the floor, then go to full push-ups on the floor, and then maybe go to push-ups with your hands on the floor, your feet on the sofa, you know, so then we go to push-ups on the floor with your feet on the sofa with Heath sitting on your shoulders, you know, whatever it might be. And so on that spectrum, you know, kind of basically, yeah, talk us through how you'd find the right work zone for the client using that, that ladder, that toolbox. Yep, no worries. So... And I, that's a great question because I think that's kind of where the, we can talk about the toolbox as an idea and it sounds great. And, yes, yeah, strengthening is great and working to fatigue, okay, I understand that I've got to work to a point where I can't do another one in order to get stronger. Then I've got to take that and apply it to my client. So my client is frail or afraid or injured or whatever. And so we've got to find the right exercise for them and – as you've just described, the right exercise is one that we can't quite. So what we say is do, do, do eight to 10 with two in the tank. So you leave a couple in the tank and you do your eight to 10 reps. And that would be at around about that 80% of your, of your, of your one rep max. Um, but then where on that continuum of exercises of incrementally increasing challenge, whether it's on all three all dimensions or one or two, where do you start? And that's where it kind of folds back into what I was saying about how I teach a group class. Whatever I'm going to do is going to start somewhere where if you walked into class, I'm really confident you could do 20. So like footwork on like moderate springs or cat stretch. And then I just look at the bodies in front of me. And so that, that's the concept. If it's more of a clinical setting and like, what are we working on? We're going to work on shoulder rehab slash strengthening like you've just described it's like all right well let's have a look at the basics let's go to the wall and do push-ups off the wall can you do 15 you can okay great let's go and do something else talk about your kids maybe do some ankle stretching or something give you a little break come back and make it harder can you do 10 so and i go for 15 because i'm going to err on the side of caution i want to make sure you succeed and you know i'm really confident because i saw you pick up your school bag on the way in that you can probably do 15 wall push-ups but we'll start there and then and that's sort of start tying into the principles of motor learning which we want early success so rather than have you fail and uh modify the exercise i'd rather have you succeed and progress the exercise which is just a different direction up the same up and down the same spectrum so you just you, in other words you aim below the target to start with really and then go you know what wow you're stronger than i wow that's awesome i'm amazed let's make that harder for you yeah and you know and so that's how it's like can you do 10 you can great let's make it a bit harder and if you can't do 10 there we are we'll just do that a few more times until you can um great. i hope i'm not oversimplifying it but that that's basically it Pick a, pick a spot on the continuum that you're really confident they can do. And if you need to, you err on the side of caution, go way down and do it. And then, you know, if, if the client were to turn to you and say, that's too easy, like, we're just warming up. You know, that, that's and, just the warm and up. And that's the other brilliant part of this because uh, actually 
the most effective warm-up uh, known to science in terms of reducing injury risk and improving performance is basically just a, a it's called a progressive dynamic warm-up dynamic loaded warm-up and what it is is just it's just literally what you described it's it's two to four sets of the thing that you're warming up for starting out really light and getting a bit heavier each set right so if you're warming up to do full push-ups start with a set of wall push-ups then do a set of kneeling push-ups you know etc until you on the fourth or fifth set you're doing full push-ups and yeah. that's there's your there's your progressive loaded dynamic warm-up yeah so what 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 we've got with this toolbox idea as we'll stay with the, the push-up i concepts we've got push-ups on the wall um then uh, let's say the push-ups off the back of a chair so it's slightly more angled than the wall then push-ups off the seat of a chair it's slightly more angled and then push-ups on your knees on the floor or maybe straight legs on the floor and then like you say push-ups with your feet on the chair and then what's that five six progressions that they are that that's a strength progression and we could argue about the range of motion as you change angles but let's just leave it as strength What's so okay? Great. Here's the list. There's the toolbox. Go and apply it. And the the beauty of what's happened, and I, I feel like it's been an evolving thing. Like as the evidence, as we've become clearer on the evidence about strength training and about rehab, and it's it's like oh it, well, it just turns out that the optimal warm up is a, a slightly easier version of the thing that's hard. Oh, well, look, the toolbox solves for that. Start easy, make it, is it, is it easy? Make it harder. Is it still easy? Make it a little bit harder. Oh, it's hard enough now. And how do we know it's hard enough? Because you couldn't do 10. And so all of these concepts, principles, evidence-based guidelines, frameworks are, are kind of baked into the toolbox, which yeah. is just a piece of paper with a list of exercises on it. But yeah. the application of it, is instantiating all of these, all of this massive research that you don't need to know because it's built into the. It's the baked tool. in. Baked in. Yeah, I love it, and it's. I mean, that's that's really no different from if you were training with, say, a barbell, you know, and you were training squats. Well, set number one is just the barbell. Set number two is the barbell plus a little bit of weight on each end. Set number three is a bit more weight. Set number four is a bit more weight. Set number five is the weight you can do no more than 10 reps of. Mm. Well, so what, what, what's been amazing for me in terms of teaching this, because the other thing that's funny or interesting about that is, and as I just described it, is that's, that's what evolved out of, for me out of teaching 25, 30 small group classes a week for about five years. At the end of that five years, I'd, I'd had one nervous breakdown, lost a relationship, like a whole lot of stuff because I was just overworked. And in the process, I'd simplified what I did at work so that I could maintain my the rest of my life. And what I'd done was teach basically the same things, make them incrementally harder. And how do you know when to make it harder? Well, I'd settled on five to 10. Now I know better. I go for 10 with two in the tank. And uh, lost my train of thought. So I'd, I'd, I'd built that out. Then uh, that's what I was going to say. So then one of the things, one of the things that we could critique, uh, criticize that for is I'm bringing what I want you to do. Like you're going to do my progressions and nine times out of 10, that, that would carry fine for a client because they're going to get all the benefits of exercise. They're going to get stronger. They're going to get more flexible. But if I, 
the, the other part that we learn about in the diploma, and this is the bit that I think expresses the kind of magic of being an instructor rather than just giving people the program, is when you come to me and you've got specific goals, there are things that you want to do with your body that combine strength and range of motion and flexibility and, and control, sorry, in a way that's unique and meaningful for you. And I get to go, hmm, okay, I've got these toolboxes and I've got this thing that you need to solve. Let's start to see where those two things fit together. And so then it becomes relational rather than um, I'm just downloading a system on you. It's like, I've got the tools, you've got this thing you want to achieve. And between us, we will work together to make that come to fruition. Right. And, and there is, um, and that's such a good point that you bring up about that collaborative, you know, patient-centred or client-centred care model. Uh, and there are so many ways that you can uh, support your client's autonomy um, and preference and expectation through this process um, and still use the same seven exercises with everyone. That, for example, you could say, hey, Heath, you know, um, would you like to start with abs or arms today? You know, hey, Heath, do you prefer, you know, push-ups or working with a band? You know, hey, Heath, um, you know, do you want to start with balance work or strength work today? You know, like there are just so many <laughs> ways that you can, you know, g give people choices and options and, and enable them to feel in control of the process. Um Obviously, like you said, including acknowledging and you know co-creating goals with them that are meaningful for them around you know movements or activities that they want to get back to doing that they can't currently do because of their pain or injury or whatever it might be. Um, but even in a group class setting, or if you're just working one-on-one -on -one with kind of fitness-based clients or whatever it might be, like just because you're teaching everyone the same seven exercises doesn't mean you're not individualizing everyone's program and everyone's not getting a specific set of results that, that they want. No, it doesn't. So I guess, uh, you know, I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to, just try and sum up what we've discussed, <laughs> um, which is that uh, as new instructors, you know, I mean, there's 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 literally hundreds of Pilates exercises in the in all of the apparatus, um, and you can essentially make up an infinite number. You know, if you just jump on a reformer for half an hour, you can make up another twenty five exercises pretty easily. And so for most young instructors, and even for some of us who are more experienced, we kind of either get overwhelmed with the options or we feel like we need to make use of all of those tools on a regular basis to kind of keep our clients interested and engaged or, or, or something. But really, it tends to be the case for a lot of people. And this was Joseph's original plan, right? Because he just did the same repertoire in the same order. <laughs> Yeah, all the time for decades um, that when people repeat the same exercise you know regularly they get better at it and they notice that they get better because they notice that they could only do seven last week and this week they can do nine 
and they're like, huh, I got stronger. And that, that feels good. And not only that, but the instructor gets better because they are practicing cueing the same exercise. They're practicing teaching the same program. They're practicing the same transitions. They just get better at doing it. And but so and I kind of missed this when we first talked about it. But like so, what what happens to the instructor? And I've, I've, the instructors have said this back to me both as breathe grads when I've shared it or as working for me. Is one of the benefits is they they practice teaching the same exercises. They use the cue. They they use a cue and they see what happens. And and oh that cue didn't didn't quite get the effect or that cue worked really well. So I'll use it again. So they get this feedback and because they're going to repeat that exercise multiple times across multiple classes, across multiple weeks, they get this constant feedback about the quality and the effectiveness of their cues. Plus they're watching uh, a multiple bodies do the same movement a lot. So their eyes get sharper to the quality of that movement. So they spot the anomalies faster. So then they become more efficient in saying, oh, you know, uh, straight legs, straight arms, push the bed out, bring the bed back, keep your body locked in shape. Bang, I've locked onto the person who's looking like a wet noodle in the back corner. Whereas if, you know, without that practice, I'm not as sensitized to the differences in what I'm seeing. And the other part of it is, as you were saying, it's, it is the routine, like, on the one hand, there's the practice element. If you do it a lot, you get better at it. But for the instructor especially, by being routine about what you teach, so if the warm-up is always basically the same and you're doing chunks of each class that you're doing on repeat and you know well, that leaves space in your mind and your brain. So if you want to try something more creative, something you haven't taught before, you've got more kind of space I feel and when I think about it, it's like space it's like I've got more brain energy available to try something new and if it goes pear-shaped it's okay I'll just drop back to something I've been doing a lot of so it's like we'll go out into this unknown territory Whew, that was a bit scary you got a bit loose we'll come back and do something familiar or it goes really well and you're like bang nailed it I've got a new program I'm going to use that again next time does that make sense yeah I think yeah. also like it's it's so hard as as an instructor to kind of put yourself in the client's shoes and realize recognize that number one that person hasn't done twenty five classes this week like you have, <laughs> and number two, like th this is like people like monotony like like think of like if you're listening to this right when you go to the coffee shop and buy your coffee do you order a different freaking coffee every time no they know what you're going to have when you walk in the door because you always order the same thing what about when you go to your favorite restaurant you look through the whole menu then guess what you order the same darn thing you ordered every time right like you've got your favorite brand of jeans and your favorite brand of leggings and your favorite color of top and your favorite car and your favorite like humans are creatures of habit we like things the same and in all of those scenarios, so whether it's the barista, the shop assistant that you go back to because you like the jeans or whatever, the service element is not constantly varying. Like if the waiter always said to you, no, 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 don't have that, have this, you wouldn't go back. But if every now and again with their spider sense, they sense that maybe you're up for a bit of a challenge, they say, look, how about I offer you something else to go with your pasta tonight? And you're like, hmm, okay. And so, but they can guide you to taking that challenge, but they're not force feeding you with different things all the time. They're making space for you to build your routine and habit. And a group exercise is no different, I don't believe. 
we're we're going out. It's my daughter's birthday on Monday. We're going out for dinner. We're going out to this restaurant that she calls the. I think she calls it the one hundred dollar restaurant or something because it was a hundred dollars one time when we went there. <laughs> um, uh, and we're going there because we had a particular experience last time. You know, the service was a certain way, the food was a certain way, the music was a certain way, etc. And we're going there because we want that experience again. Not because we want some random different experience, <laughs> you know. We don't want to get there and go, oh, we've changed. It's now a Japanese restaurant and we have punk rock band play. <laughs> it's like, we don't want that. <laughs> you know, we want the same experience we had last time. <laughs> and, you know, when, when I, I've got my favourite restaurant, my favourite, yeah, I've got my favourite Italian restaurant I go to, I always order the same darn dish, right? I've only ordered one thing there. I've been there like eight times. I always order the same thing. If I went there, like when, when I make a booking to go there, I'm making a booking to buy that dish, <laughs> you know. And so if I got there and they were like, oh, no, we've changed the menu. We don't sell steak anymore. You know, we've become a vegan restaurant or whatever. It's like, yeah, I'm, I'm not coming back. <laughs> yeah. Um, all right. So, so yeah, I think we, yeah. we overrate variety. We underrate consistency and routine. And and the the ability to uh, notice to make and uh, and notice progress both for the client and for ourselves as instructors, and I think you know I don't think we really specifically mentioned it, but I think it's been kind of a, a theme under here. Is we like I think we we often just overcomplicate things. Like we I see this all the time on Instagram, and maybe this is just like people. It's more performative on Instagram, and so people do these exercises that kind of look beautiful, but they're like be hellishly inconvenient to get into. Like I see people all the time on Instagram these days, on a reformer, on a box, sitting with one leg in the air with a strap on it, with a band around their thighs, holding a toning ball behind their knee. Like it's like, oh my God, how long did it take you to get into position <laughs> to, to do that? You know, it's like just do a push up for God's sakes. <laughs> you know, <laughs> like, um, you know. So, you know, we I think we overcomplicate things a lot <laughs> when we we could just use it's like the the, the humble lunge. <laughs> you know, works every muscle from the waist down. You know, adductors, abductors, knee, you know, quads, hamstrings, glutes, calves, like the foot, the whole lot. And yet we feel the need to jump on a box with a booty band and a strap crossed over and a freaking whatever else, you know. And it's like, I mean, I love looking at those things on Instagram because I'm in awe of people that can put their leg over their head with a strap on their foot and all that kind of stuff. But it's like when you're teaching a group exercise class, come on, people. Be serious. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I totally agree. I, a lot of the time, I look at it and think, well, as a and like, who is it for? So I'm sure there. If instructors look at that and have a go at it and love it, like that's great. But if you multiply that setup across twelve people in a room, like no one's in a flow state. Everyone's trying to work out where their left leg is supposed to right. go, and it requires such. For that to be a smooth process, you're talking about a black belt instructor who's been at it for like a long time, really knows their cues, really knows, and all the really, really uh, experienced instructors that 
I've observed and talked to gravitate in the other direction. Over time, their programming gets simpler, not more, yeah. not more complicated. And I think even with a one-on-one client, I mean, like there, I'm imagine, I'm sure there are some circus acrobats and dancers who would love doing, you know, super fancy stuff. But even like when you look, some of that stuff that you see on Instagram that like looks beautiful actually doesn't feel amazing in your body. And it's like even circus acrobats and dancers, just like a simple split or a simple plank hold or something can be made super challenging for someone who's high level. You know, it doesn't have to be complicated to be challenging. I think that's one thing like that we we've talked about this. Yeah, we've talked about this and we talk about it with students a lot that simple is not necessarily easy. And that's really, really important. Like that's a fundamental principle or tenet of group programming is simple can be really hard and that goes to the toolbox because it can also be easy. And the reformer is a remarkably effective tool like that because you've got springs. You can just add another spring. So you can keep things simple and by playing with spring tension, make it hard in multiple directions. Like the classic would be long stretch. More springs is harder in one direction. Less springs is harder in the other direction. And in the middle, depending on your body weight and body length and so on, there's going to be a sweet spot, which is kind of easy, you know, doable. Mm. Mm. And it's one movement, one set of cues, very different experiences, different parts of the body. Like that's just gold, you know, mm. for, group, for group programming. And if you really want to spice it up, you can put in some holes at end range or, you know. Yeah, absolutely. Or, or, and, you know, and then that, that evolves into your pike, plank, knee stretches, but it's all the same principle. One movement pattern, different spring settings, different experience for the client. And, I mean, I've lost count of how many times I've had that conversation with instructors and student instructors. But, like, like you say, if a, if a client comes every Tuesday – then that's one hour out of a week. And they're not Pilates professionals. They probably don't think about their Pilates class maybe ever, except when they're there or that, oh, I've got to go to Pilates tonight. I've got to get the kids fed. So then showing them that they do the same movement on three different spring settings for three very different experiences, that's awesome. That's like here you are doing Pilates, here you are understanding the machine and here you are getting stronger in different ways with one movement. How cool is that? And the instructor might be like, going, God, isn't that boring? I'm not juggling while we do it. But the client's probably going far out. That's amazing. You know, who invented this thing? I've seen that just so many times that I now I have absolute confidence doing it. It's just like, all right, we're going to do the same movement five times, three different spring settings with lunges in between. Everyone leaves happy. Mm. And uh, choosing and choosing a, a level of resistance, whether you know whether you're getting your resistance from taking springs off or from adding springs on, um, choosing a level of resistance where the client can do between five and ten reps, you know, um, and then stopping when they've got sort of two to three reps still left in the tank, you know, so stopping before they hit complete failure. Well, I, I, I apply the same toolbox principle we talked about before. So if we're in a group programming context, so let's, let's take long stretch as an example. We're going to start feet against shoulder pads, knees on the bed, hands on the foot bar. We're all on one and a half springs. Push the bed out, bring the bed back. And 
you know, by then we've done footwork and learned whatever. It's like, I'm really confident that you guys could probably do 30 plus reps, but I'm just going to establish the basic movement. Then we'll do 10 or 15. Maybe we'll do some holds at the end. And while we're holding, I'll say, when we come back in, I'm going to make it a little bit harder. We're going to come up to straight legs. Let's do that. And then we do that. And if people get a bit wristy, you know, someone comes down and rubs their wrists, you mix it up. And then you say, we're going to go back to that same movement now. And we're going to, I'm going to make it harder for your shoulders by adding another full spring. You can try it on your knees first if you want. And you just build. And I, I would build like that. So, you, so you're reducing the balance challenge at the same time as you're increasing the strength challenge. Right. So in, decrease control, increase strength and see how you go. And if you want to add the control plus a bit of more strength, because through here to hold you up, you can take that challenge. And I mean, that's, that's, we just described how I teach. You're just going to start in this place, add a little bit, add a little bit, add a little bit, add a little bit, add a little bit. And then at a certain point, you either choose your level of challenge or everyone's looking suitably challenged. I'm going to take you to the hard bit and hold you there for counts. And then, and then, and then you're done. And so it, it's, it's the, it's the toolbox applied to a group. You just start in one place, incrementally add challenge across one or more dimensions and pay attention. How are they looking? And I'm going to count the reps or I'm sort of going to count the reps. Or I'm going to make a bad joke about how bad I am at counting reps. But when I start to see you get shaky, I know we're nearly there kind of thing. And it, it's kind of the idea of like it's with practice and obviously it's a practice thing. It means that teaching a group is no different to teaching an individual. You're just looking at the group as, as a group presentation. It's like, is, is it starting to look challenging or in around about the right spot or is six out of eight people are cruising and two look a bit challenged. Well then you put your knees down and drop a half spring off and carry on and you just play with the levels so you see everyone roughly kind of sort of hitting challenge at around about the same time. Hmm. And that concept, what you just described of by, you know, starting people with the easy version on the knees and then going to full straight legs, then adding a half spring, adding a full spring, etc. We also call that layering, right? I think a lot of people call that adding layers. Yeah. But that's, it's basically just a toolbox, right? You're just yeah. adding an extra, an extra layer each each, each time round, and that's your warm up for for the arm, for the arm upper body push <laughs> movement, um, and you you just keep working till you hit your five to ten rep range, um, which is you know something you could hold for you know if you're doing a plank or something, it's something you could hold for I don't know thirty seconds maybe, and if you can hold it for two minutes, it's not heavy enough. <laughs> yeah. Yep. And, you know, what we've just described, I suppose there's a potential there to be like, yeah, well, that's easy when you've done it for 10 years. But it is, it, 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 the, the premise is that simple. It's just like if you pick the exercises you want to work with, find the easy version, find the hard version, find five to seven stages in between, do it in your own body, feel how the challenge changes as you move up and down the increments, and then apply that to a group. Start easy, start to build, start to build, start to build, and see how you go. And you're right, in, in the certificate course, we call that layering, and I'm sure other people call it that as well. With the toolbox idea, it was we were drawing a line around particular body areas for rehab, and we also wanted to really explicitly, uh, a name that made it clear that 
if a client comes with a particular need, you go into your toolbox and you pull out an exercise from the sequence and see how they go. So it kind of visually gives you that idea of like, ah, you've got this, you're bringing, presenting in a clinical setting with this particular um, problem. I'll go into my toolbox and I'll get out the tool, which just so happens to be a layered progression of exercises that increase in challenge incrementally across the three dimensions of rehab. Right. And if even if you came, you know, and it's like you said earlier, it's like it's exactly the same for rehab as it is for just general strengthening. And so it's the same for somebody who's lost 99% of the function of their shoulder as it is for someone who's lost 1% of the function of their shoulder. It's just the starting point's going to be different. You know, for somebody who's lost 99% of the function, you might stand them against the wall with their elbow bent and they just like push on the wall gently, right? So there's actually no movement in their shoulder at all. And, you know, but then for the person who's only lost 1% of their shoulder range, you might start them in full push-ups, you know, or wherever they're, wherever they're capable Stretch of. Or, yeah. Yeah. Well, obviously, you wouldn't start them in full push-ups on their first set, but you might, you, that might be their working, like, you know, load yeah. on, in, in session number one. Good talk, Heath. Thanks, Raph. After two exercise science degrees and over a decade and a half of reading research daily, I've condensed all the current science on rehab into a program called the Clinical Exercise Specialist Rehabilitation. Inside the program, I'll teach you to do three things. One, deeply understand how the body works. Two, confidently and expertly rehab literally any client. And three, get results for your clients. So ultimately, your clients tell their friends and you become known as the go-to expert in your area. This program is completely unlike any education you've done before, even if you've studied with us before, because of the way we've built the learning design. It's an online, flexible, skill-based learning program, which means you keep doing the skills under supervision until you're good at them. It's more of a mentorship model than a traditional course model. So rather than rushing through the content and having sort of one go at everything, you actually just practice live and we give you feedback and guidance and we dialogue and explore concepts together until you're highly skilled and confident. We just keep working the material until you get it. It's not rushed at all. It's not about ticking off the content. It's about engaging, practicing and applying it until you own it. This is a life-changing program, not some weekend certification. I've put my heart and soul into building this, and I can't wait to share it with you and help you discover your genius for anatomy and rehab. Now, because of the highly interactive nature of this program, we're only taking on 12 students worldwide. The program starts on March the 1st, and the first 12 qualified people to apply will be allowed to enroll. So if you're interested in learning more, click the link in the show notes and download the course guide or go to breathe-education.com and click on the clinical certification menu in our uh, link in the top menu. That's breathe-education.com and click on the clinical certification link in the top menu.